Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. No matter what we do to try to celebrate Christmas, whether it's your celebration tomorrow, whether it's your church service here tonight, you can't improve on the first Christmas, can you? Impossible. A virgin, 15 years old, giving birth to the Son of God. How can you improve on that? Think about it. The angel of the Lord appears to shepherds watching their sheep that are supposed to be getting ready for sacrifice themselves by night. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Can you imagine that scene? What it was like. And then the angel proclaims, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Does it get clearer than that? Are we dismissing any of our youth this evening? Okay. It doesn't get clearer than that. Some said we didn't know that he was the Savior. Wait a minute. The angel said with the heavenly host, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So they knew it was the Messiah. And that was his introduction. And then, of course, we know that the Wise men were led by a star to the birthplace where they offered gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All fit for a king, a priest, and of course for his death. But all that took place. How could they not know who he was? You'd think that it would be that simple, right? But they didn't. You have your Bible out there? If you don't, we're going to put the scriptures up for you. But tonight we're going to talk about something I think that's important. It's called the Incarnation. And my subtitle is, Why an Incarnation? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the revelation of your word and the revelation of Jesus Christ, who has come to reveal to us your heart for humanity. Thank you for the love that you displayed in him, bringing us back to yourself by the sacrifice of his life. As we study the word tonight, Father, give us ears to hear it, hearts to receive it, minds that are open to it, and change us by it from glory to glory, that we might live the life that you've called us to live and that we might represent you well upon this earth. Be glorified in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. First Timothy 3.16 will be our opening text. And look at the verse. Without controversy. It's not controversial here, Paul's saying. Without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. And then he explains it. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, and then believed on in the world and received up in the glory. There in a nutshell, you have the whole gospel, don't you? <laughs> Think about that. Notice that the gospel message, it's a mystery. The mystery of godliness. And tonight, we're here to celebrate one of those mysteries, which is God manifests in the flesh. Look at Matthew 1, verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child. That in itself doesn't make any sense, does it? And shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Not a God with us, not a representative of God with us, but who? Whom? God with us. So the mystery of godliness is the incarnation. The hypostatic union of deity and humanity in the person 
of Jesus Christ. Now, let's take a moment to think that through to try to wrap our brains around it. Can you imagine the second person of deity who is there in that sphere of heaven, who created the heavens and the earth and seen all that in them is, who basically said himself, can anybody build a house that's going to hold me? He wasn't pleased with just living in a tabernacle with Moses or Solomon's temple. And plus, he said, what man with his hands is going to build a house to, to hold me? He's the creator of the universe. But then he steps out of heaven into the world he created. See, the God of creation steps into his creation. Why? To rescue the man that he created from his fallen state. And how does he do that? In incarnation. If the whole universe can't hold him, how can he enter into the womb of a woman, into a body she provides for him, and then grow up like any other human being? It's almost incomprehensible, isn't it? But that's what we're celebrating here tonight, the miracle of the incarnation. Now, if we were thinking logically, we would say, now, Lord, why didn't you just use Abraham, Isaac? Jacob. You know, David was a man after your own heart. And what about one of the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel? What about an apostle? The apostle Paul was a pretty good individual. Why wouldn't you just use one of them to do what needed to be done? No, instead, you leave the sphere of heaven. You enter into a womb. You inhabit a physical body, and there is a union that takes place. The hypostatic union. And you're born the God-man. And you walk on this earth for a purpose. And we're going to talk about that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, the reason why he couldn't use Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, you know he wouldn't use Jonah. I mean, you knew that right off the bat, right? You think he's going to Tarshish? He's, he's long gone from here. Look at this verse. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the triunity of man revealed here. Spirit, soul, and body. Man is a tripart being. Go back to Genesis, back to the very beginning when God made man, he produced his body from the dust of the earth, formed it, and then it wasn't alive until he breathed into his nostril the breath of life and he became a living soul. Well, when the fall came, his spirit was separated from God, his soul was darkened, and his physical body became subject to death or mortal. We call that the flesh. Now, why am I saying this? Well, because in the fall, man was affected in all three spheres of his being, all three dimensions, spirit, soul, and body. But there's also one more area where he was in, that you could say, uh, affected by. Look at Le Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Anybody here a healthcare worker? How important is the blood? How important is the, is the blood to determine the health of a, of a physical body? Extremely important, right? Okay. Well, the life of the flesh is in the blood. I've given it to you upon uh, the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Here's the dilemma. When Adam sinned against God, not only did his body become subject to death or mortal, his flesh also, his blood was tainted with sin. And because his blood was tainted with sin, 
Romans 5.12 says, Death passed upon all men. Let's read it. Wherefore is by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, so that, or for that all have sinned. We've got a problem here. Man can't save himself, no matter how good he is, no matter what he does. It's impossible because of the bloodline. See, his blood is sin-tainted. And so therefore, since it's blood that's required to make an atonement for sin, Abraham's blood is tainted. Isaac's blood is tainted. David's blood is tainted. Everyone's blood is tainted. Your blood, my blood, everybody's blood was tainted. And therefore, you cannot make a proper sacrifice for sin because your blood's not qualified. Look in the book of Acts, chapter 17. In verse 26, this is Paul's message at Mars Hill. If you recall the story where these individuals that were there at Mars Hill, this is in, in Greece. And these individuals were, were very, uh, I should say, uh, individuals that thought that their race was better than anybody else. Let's put it that way. They thought that they were the superior race of all people groups of the world. They had it all together. You know, they had all these gods that they worshipped. And finally, even the unknown God, I mean, they, were, they covered it all. The unknown God, and they had a, an idol, you know, for that. And Paul came along and he just said, well, wait a minute. You see this here? Unknown God. Let me tell you about the known God. And so he begins to preach. And this is part of his message. And had made of one blood. Notice, all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and had determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. So from one pool of blood, he has made all men. So everyone is traced back to Adam. Because of Adam's high treason and sin, his blood is tainted. And every child born from him and their relationship throughout all the world, their blood is tainted with sin. And there's no possible way that they could spill their blood to pay their sin debt before God. So everybody is doomed for an eternal lake of fire. Look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 22. Almost all things are by the law purged without, with blood, and without shedding of blood, notice there is no remission, none whatsoever. See, Jesus had to come because no one's blood could be qualified to pay the price for man's high treason. Look in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Even animal blood that was used throughout the Old Testament, sacrificial blood that was used to cover sin, time after time, for a year, it was not qualified. Look at this. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never, never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance, again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. So it's impossible even for the blood of an innocent animal to take away sin. No possibility that that could satisfy the claims of justice that were being held against mankind. So that blood's disqualified. Man's blood's disqualified. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Again, verse 5 now through 7. But here it is. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith. How important is this? What would you be saying if you were coming into the world? If you were the second person of deity. 
and you're leaving the glory world behind, and you're going to enter into the world where you're going to save man from his fallen state, you might be thinking he's saying, where's my sword and where's my weapons and, and all of that. But no, no, not, not Christ. When he's coming into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure, then so, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. What was provided for him? A body. You had no pleasure in these sacrifices. The Old Testament sacrifice could not satisfy, could not redeem man, could not remit sin, and so therefore you provided a body for me. So once again, he leaves the glory world behind and he is now coming into the world by the legal channel, which is birth. But while he's saying that, there is a woman, 15-year-old girl on earth, in Luke 1.38 saying these words, after Gabriel says the Holy Ghost will come upon you, and that which will be born of thee is of the Father. The Spirit of God will cause you to conceive the Son of God. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. I'd like to play this out. If you can see this played out. Here he is saying, your body, A body you prepared for me, and I'm going there to do your will, O God. And then she's down there saying, Be it unto me according to your word. And boom, conception takes place. She conceives in her womb the Son of God. And now the second person of thee, the creator of all the world, is reduced to living in a fetus. Going through birth and then having to submit himself to parents to watch over him and train him and help him grow. Wow. Boy, God would do it differently than what we would if you think about it. So why was it necessary? Because man's blood is incapable of saving himself. Animal blood can't do it. Look at 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from the fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That is how we were redeemed. You see why no one can save themselves by their good works or deeds. No matter how good we are, the human blood is tainted with sin. And it's impossible to save oneself. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. Jesus had to come as the incarnate Son of God. Why? Because the blood that's developed in the baby in the womb does not come from the mother. The blood that's developed in the baby in the womb comes from the Father. And who fathered Jesus? God the Father did. Not Joseph or any man. So Jesus was not under the curse of the Adamic sin nature. His blood was pure blood, like Adam's was before he sinned. Which is why he's called the second Adam. And so now we see this baby born, precious blood? This little baby is housing the only blood that can possibly remit sin from the human race. The only blood that can provide a sacrifice that would please God 
pay this price and allow God to give birth to sons and daughters. Look at what it says. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Where Adam was banished, Jesus went. Remember the cherubim and the seraphim that were there with their flaming swords to keep man from going into or entering into the place? Jesus walks in with his own blood. He carries it to the mercy seat. He sprinkles it upon the mercy seat and the heavenly utensils of worship, and he obtains eternal redemption for mankind. Why was an incarnation necessary? To house the only blood that could satisfy God and pay the sin debt for mankind. You talk about precious. Now remember, they wanted to kill him as an infant, and the father protected him along the way. Why? Because that blood is precious. The only blood. You understand if that blood is not applied, man is lost eternally. And God loses as well. Well, I put together some scriptures that will help us really understand as we celebrate this season how precious the blood of Jesus is. Number one, Hebrews 12, 24. Look at what it says. This blood speaks volumes. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You know what Abel's blood was speaking out for? Vengeance, because his brother took his life. You know what the blood of Jesus Christ speaks out? Forgiveness, mercy. What a difference. It speaks better things. He sacrificed his life so that we could be restored to fellowship with the Father. Secondly, it redeems all mankind. Remember he said we're made from one pool of blood? He's telling these people who think that their race is better than any other race upon the planet. And what he's telling them is this. You're as guilty as anybody else. It doesn't matter what their race is, what their uh, gender is. It doesn't matter what their social status is. Everybody's guilty. Everyone. The blood is tainted and that's all there is to it. We've all come from the same pool of blood. But look at this. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. And they sung a new song saying... Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every notice. Every kindred tongue and people and nation. It goes on to say, made us kings and priests before our God. But notice every kindred, every tongue, every people, every nation. In other words, every people group of the world who is under the guilt of sin caused by Adam, whose blood is tainted with the Adamic sin nature, has been provided for by this other pool of blood. And that is the blood of Jesus. Oh, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. Any sinner can plunge beneath the flood and lose all their guilty stains. Aren't you glad you've been washed in the blood? Number three. It purges the conscience. Look at the power. We talk about there's power in the blood, but what power is there in the blood? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You talk about motivating somebody to serve. Every one of us should be so motivated to serve God, to serve Christ. Why? Because we've been cleansed by his blood, and that blood carries with it this motivation right here. My conscience is cleared. Thank God I'm no longer under guilt. I'm no longer under condemnation. I've been set free. I'm not eternally lost. I'm eternally saved. 
What am I going to do with my life? I want to serve the one who gave his life for me. Can you say amen? amen. Number four, it justifies. Look at Romans and chapter 5 and verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. Not only does it justify, it saves us from wrath through him, that wrath that is to come. You and I don't have to be concerned about wrath that's to come because we've been justified by the precious blood of Jesus, which means before the Father, it's just as if we had never sinned. It's like taking us back to Adam before he ever sinned. We have that same status before the throne of God. We've been justified, how? By the precious blood of Jesus. Look at the next one. Number five, it cleanses us as we walk every single day. But if we walk in the light of Jesus, in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, what does it do? Cleanses us from all sin. Can you imagine that? Every single day of our lives, we know we miss the mark. We know we fall short. Enemy wants to bring guilt and condemnation our way, but we are cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus every single day as we walk with this revelation. Thank God for the blood that was housed in that infant baby who went to a cross and shed it, but then took it before the throne of God and says, now let my people go. Remember Pharaoh? Remember Moses before Pharaoh? Let my people go that they can serve me. Let my people go that they can serve me. And they wouldn't do it. But then they lost the firstborn and they let the people go. But if you had the blood applied to your house, the doorposts and lintel of your house, well, thank God you didn't lose yours. Aren't you glad you applied the blood to your life? If they could have that kind of protection, what kind of protection should we have having the blood, not of a sacrificial lamb, literally, but the Son of God's blood that's protecting us? Look at the next one. It brings us close to God. Look in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh. How are we made nigh? To Jesus or to Christ or to the Father. How are we made nigh? How are we brought close into fellowship with Him? How? By something that we've done? By being so good? By reading enough of the Word of God? No. No. How? By the blood. By the blood of Christ. We come nigh to Him. Look at the next one. This blood has purchasing power. You think your credit card has purchasing power? Check out this one. Acts 20. And 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock, all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased. How? With his own blood. Why was an incarnation necessary? To provide the blood that would purchase us, pay the penalty of our redemption, the ransom that was necessary. Look at the next one. You know this one. You should know it well. Peace. Is it good to have peace with God? Colossians 1 and verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. The next one, Revelation 12 and verse 11. And they overcame him. There's overcoming power in the blood by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto death. When we stand before the opposition in this life, it's important to know that the blood of Jesus has made for us a covenant with God. Promises of victory are found in the blood that was shed for us. And we can apply the principles to our lives and overcome as we know the word of God. 
and the blood covenant that we have with him. How do we overcome? By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The next one, it's a revelation of God's love. And sometimes I think we overlook little things like this. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Notice the washing us from our sins in his own blood was motivated by love for us. His love for us was so overwhelming, so powerful, that he sent his son to take on flesh so that by the work of redemption, the father could take us and wash us from our sins in his own blood because of his love for us. If you don't feel loved, read that verse over and over again. Imagine how much he loves us. When Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, he meant it. That a man would lay down his life for his friends. Or even more so that a father would lay down the life of his son for those he wants to become his sons and daughters. The next one, it gives us access, and this is so powerful, to the holy of holies, this blood of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way that he has consecrated for us, that is to say, through his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and bodies washed in the pure water of the word. Here it is, the blood of Jesus Christ, the access to the throne of God that we all have. The road is paved with the blood of Jesus. Maybe other parts of heaven might be paved in gold, but I'm telling you, the street that leads to the throne of God, the holiest place of all, is paved with the blood of Jesus. It's our new and living way to enter into the holiest place of all. And finally, it seals the new and everlasting covenant, and that's why we're here this evening. Look at Matthew's Gospel 26, verses 27 and 28. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And Paul said, as often as you do it, remember him. Why is the blood of Jesus precious? It's the only blood that could redeem man from his fallen state. It's the only blood that can restore a right relationship between man and God. It's the only blood that can do all these things that we just talked about here. It has nothing to do with your performance. It has everything to do with the performance of Christ and what he did in the shedding of his precious holy blood. You see, the blood in that womb, in that baby, came from the Heavenly Father, not from Joseph. And this is what was necessary. So in our conclusion, look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, anybody know his name? Adam. Many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. What's his name? Jesus. Jesus. He's also called the second Adam, isn't he? He did what the first Adam could not do. But the second Adam didn't fail, did he? Can you imagine walking around knowing that I'm, my body is housing the only blood that can redeem the world? Hard to imagine. But that was Christ. So, this is the culmination of it all. 
the incarnation is God stepping out of the glory world into the human world for the purpose of taking on human flesh so he can destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil so that he could provide blood that would qualify to redeem man from his fallen state. And Jesus willingly came, laid down his life. And by the way, those shepherds that were watching their flocks by night, the flocks that they were watching were the ones that they were using to sacrifice unto the Lord. And when Jesus came to that, or the angels came to those very ones, basically they said, you might be watching these lambs that are going to be sacrificed, but the Lamb of God has been born in the city of David. And you know why? In Micah 5, 2, it says Bethlehem Ephrathah, because there was more than one Bethlehem, and the angel was specific. You think he doesn't know geography? And said, that is where he's born, and you'll find him there, in a stable, in a manger, and let all come and worship him. Beloved, this is mind-boggling. Is it not? It's, you can't wrap your brain around it. All you can do is accept it by faith and say, thank you, Father, for a great plan of redemption. Thank you, Jesus, for the willingness you had to humble yourself to become a man, be obedient to death, even the death of the cross. No wonder God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every other name. And then, precious Holy Spirit, make all this a reality in our lives.